0: You got the eyes. That is a total jam.
1: This soundtrack, yeah, the Brian. The Paolas is what that sounds like. Holy
0: crap! <laughs> right? Yeah. How great is that song? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about it in pretty in depth, Brian. The uh, Valley Girl soundtrack, as we're uh, as we're going to go through this. But, ladies and gentlemen, my goodness, I'm very excited. Brian, I'm going to give the official Junk Miles intro, so you just sit back. This is Junk Miles with Chip and Jeff. Sadly, Chip is not with us right now. He had a complete computer malfunction breakdown with all his audio. He's not the most tech-savvy guys, so I'm not sure he's going to be able to bounce back and jump in with us. Hopefully, he will. It would be nice, but it doesn't matter because you have probably the most, two most charismatic guys in the Pennsylvania area right now me and my guest, who I'm going to introduce in one second, because we're really be talking about the movie Valley Girl. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Seymour is a Jersey-born singer-songwriter who crafts heartfelt folk pop gems, helping you feel all the feels and maybe just maybe stop the world from spinning for four minutes at a time. Brian also has a PhD in the history of art. Is that true, Brian? It's verifiable. Verifiable. More exciting news. Brian has a new song, Dandelion, streaming everywhere. And if you all behave, I will spin it at the end of this show. Brian has a new album dropping soon. Correct, Brian? Also true?
1: June 30th.
0: June 30th. This is so exciting. And this is even more exciting. Philly peeps, Philly, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, West Coast people, if you want to fly in. When you think of Romantic Night, you think of the Brian Seymour band playing at the living room in Ardmore, PA, February 14th, Join Brian and his band. I believe Philly legend, Rich Kaufman is part of your band.
1: Rich will be there. Couldn't play without him.
0: Oh, one of my favorites, Rich Kaufman, of course, of Foxy Cotton, many other great bands, Electric Love Muffin. Um, That's February 14th. Get tickets now at the living room. I'm going, my wife, I'm sure a lot of our good friends, Sure, a couple from Delaware that we know might be there, right, Brian?
1: Yeah, and I don't want to shock you, but it actually is set up like a living room.
0: Oh, my God. Thus the name. Can I sit in a beanbag chair?
1: Big, 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 fluffy couches, the whole thing. Yeah.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And true or false, Brian, since it's a Valentine's Day show, will you be manning yourself the Brian Seymour kissing booth?
1: <laughs> I will. And I, I have a little um, little harp as well that I'll kind of get the occasion um,
0: I know the Brian Seymour Kissing Booth has been very popular. You play Fergie's all the time, I believe, twice a month. You do an amazing show there um, doing um, Tom Waits, is it? Or is it the other Waits that you do? What's the other guy Waits? Yeah, we
1: did the John Waits covers, but it, it was <laughs> the, a very short show. Two songs. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the crowd was good. You know, yeah. the crowd, yeah, the so passion. you said maybe the Waits with
0: the bigger catalog that people enjoy more.
1: That's right. Yeah. Maybe like more like 40 albums instead of, you know, right. Uh, but no, yeah. Tom Waits, second Saturday at Fergie's. They have me wonderfully sandwiched between the Irish band, Darren and the boys and the ladies who stop in and play the, you know, the thing and the all kinds of Irish. And then I play my Tom Waits covers and then it is live band karaoke after that.
0: Holy crap. Do you ever just stay around, go up and kill at karaoke?
1: No, 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 no. Your voice
0: must be shot by then. Yeah, and I got to watch
1: the kids, you know. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. One of our favorite moments that we literally quote all the time. You and uh, Rich would do an amazing holiday show there for years, and we would always go, and my kids were pretty little, and we had dinner there, and Fergie's food, very good, the Fergie burger, Mm -hmm. veggie burger, all their food's good, French fries, out of this world, but I think they were little and they're like, can we get dessert? And the waitress was, and it was a packed house. You guys are playing. And I just said to the waitress, like, hey, do you have a dessert menu? And she looked at me like, oh my God, no one's ever asked for dessert. She goes, let me check. And she comes back. She goes, there's like a, a pumpkin flan in the refrigerator. And, and she goes, but across the street, you could just go to Capogizio, get some ice cream and bring it back. That would be <laughs> the best bet. It was the coolest move by Oh. She was just like, "Yeah, we're not dessert people."
1: Yeah, it's it's never come up.
0: <laughs> but our our go to Brian, whenever we're like, "Hey, we're at a restaurant, we want some dessert," we're like, they got a pumpkin flan, we're in."
1: A little bit in the back, uh, <laughs> but you know, on the on the ramp up to the record, um, I I talked to Fergie about it, and you know, Jeff, I'm I'm not a young guy. Nope. So I'm not going to be making phone calls and booking rooms. I just talked to Fergie. I said, what can we do? So we're going to do three Friday evenings in April nice. to ramp up to the record. So six to eight slot Friday evenings. Going to uh, have different iterations of the band, lots of special guests. So it'll be a little Fergie's residency in April. before. Oh,
0: six to eight. That's my sweet spot.
1: Yeah. yeah right. You- Get a little
0: cup of coffee at five o'clock. I drive down to the city. <laughs> And then we'll I'm do
1: the cool it. releases. We'll do, we'll do a Philly show. We'll do a New York show. We'll do an Asbury park show. Oh um, yeah. They're the big three. Got to bring it back home. How,
0: how, how big is Asbury now? Right. Isn't it great to just see it's a stomp mm-hmm. now? Like, you know, it used to be like bands would go DC, Baltimore, New York, Boston, maybe Philly. <laughs> and now it's just like, yeah. Philly definitely asbury park like all the bands you want to see i want to see you know some of the older alternative bands some of the heavy hitters i think it has something to do with you know their see here now festival really put them on the map they do every year
1: yeah i think um people too just you know kind of gravitate towards where where it's happening i think um you know it got the reputation for having crowds that really want to see live music and to be fair People used to skip Philly, but they don't anymore. You know, I feel like Philly's definitely a, a place that people know they're going to get a good crowd.
0: Um, Yeah. And they even go to like the outskirts of Philly, too. Like there's a lot of like, you know, experts like Evan Dando just played a couple of weird like spots on the outskirts of Philly. I can't even remember. Like maybe, you know, if they throw the money out there. You know, he'll come.
1: Well, and it's remarkable how many great places there are, how many rooms in Philly. Oh, yeah. You know, one of your, one of your favorite bands comes through and you have to actually look up where it is. yeah right usually yeah 10
0: years ago you'd be like oh i'm going to the track or i'm going to the tla
1: yeah right not the barbary
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh no oh no i don't want my car broken into again the barbary (laughs) not the um what's my favorite the one on south street that had the giant square post like pretty much in the middle of the stage you had to choose Mm
1: -hmm. what
0: what part of the band you wanted to see and
1: yeah yeah
0: Dobbs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, oh, that's exciting then. So, we're going to put Fergie's on the map. We're going to put Living Room, yeah. get that all ready for the spring. That's very exciting. Yeah. The new song, Dandelion, fantastic. Everybody, just wherever you uh, stream music Spotify, Apple, Bandcamp, uh, BrianSeymour.com. Once yeah, a little on song
1: out. for everybody. You know, um, friend of mine said, I can play that song for a 10 year old. Yep. A septuagenarian. There you go. I like that. And you know it's so weird when you
0: say septuagenarian. I'm like, I'm very close to being a septuagenarian.
1: So. <laughs> closer than ten, that's true.
0: That's right. V- much closer to a septu. I don't want to be anywhere near, and I am th- the suffix genarian. Yeah. Right. When is that? Because, like, once you gets to the sixty, that's when the genarian starts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. I'm still in my extreme late forties. Yeah, and I'm I'm doing that whole thing like, Social Security is when now. Like- yeah. Looking, looking forward them? to
0: it. How long was the process of making this new record? Uh,
1: this was a gift. Um, we, uh, we had time. I mean, you know, the struggle through COVID kind of kept everybody in lockdown. But I say it's a gift because it kept um, making us reflect on what we had. Yep. You know, I, I did a show at the old living room, which was on um, Lancaster, right by the Arbor Music Hall in hmm. 2019. And that was the first time I had played a lot of these songs on the piano with a little band. And of those songs that I thought were going to make the record, only like three, three survived.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, And then I kind of wrote new ones over the pandemic. But every time I thought, boy, this is it. This is the definitive bunch. I would go and write. Dandelion was one of them. Uh, American Courage, the title track is another one. Uh, I just kept kind of pushing the record along and pushing it along so
0: is that just you deciding uh you work with a producer anyone else like yeah Derek
1: Chaffin at the barn studios uh he's in chester springs mm-hmm. uh, and rich kaufman um mm-hmm. from like you said the rolling hayseeds and electric love muffin and foxy Cotton. he was very much involved um and the guy who produced my previous record in california greg Sarfati. yep um, greg stewart did uh uh he's Greg Stewart now, he 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 kind of did some executive producing, and we would keep bringing a batch of songs up, and we would just kind of talk them through, and for the first time, I kind of song doctored my own material, so I would go back, listen to some old songs, think, you know what, I wish I had a chance to kind of rewrite that second verse, and I did, I just, <laughs> I rewrote the second verse, I rewrote, you know, reshaped the chorus, changed the key, put it on the piano instead of the guitar, so there's a song called Everyday Girl that I wrote for a friend's wedding. I mean, we're talking 25 years ago. Yeah. And it never got recorded and it was just hanging around. So I, um, I rewrote the verses, updated the key, and that wound up being one of the ones that Derek chose out of the batch, which was great.
0: Is that exciting when you get like confirmation or a total surprise of like an old thing that you just like. When, you know, producers, an engineer, whoever working with you, Rich, just be like, dude, that's great. And you're like,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. And it's a flip of a coin, because, you know, you have to write your way through the horrible things. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I always tell Derek, I go back and I listen to old demos. And for me, demos is just like singing into my Evernote on my phone, you know, Um, and it'll be so earnest, you know, it would just be like try, trying to go for that imagery in the rain or that metaphor, you know, that I had one song called The Records We Played and I was just like, ouch, Ugh. too it, much.
0: It's a little cloying, even yeah. though it probably meant a lot. And I'm sure that, it, yeah, um that's neat, though. That's your process of like, just singing into a an Evernote, like that's your
1: well, there was a time when I was working with Edon at Soundgun um, back in the day, and he hooked me up with software, and uh, it was all legal and everything. I <laughs> software, and I, I I, went down the rabbit hole. I definitely do you fall into the rabbit hole? Do you go down it? I don't know what, whatever it is, I was in it. Yeah. And with baby I, Jessica? <laughs> I was down the well, and I realized, you know what, I, uh, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't. Yeah. Should record at home i should leave that to the pros and i should concentrate on um, what i can do and and during the pandemic we were living in a a house, a three really tall three-story house with a basement so i was like a full three flights below the family and i would get up at the crack of dawn and my piano was in the corner of the basement that's where i really kind of wrote this record
0: nice um I'd probably say this record, the biggest influence would be the 1983
1: movie Valley Girl, true or false? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about it since I first saw it. (laughs) Why is this movie (laughs) popping in my head? Do I have to have a disclaimer and like apologize for making you watch it in advance? No,
0: because this is one of my favorite things when I have people, I love when I have people I know and people I don't know. And when you ask them, What's a movie that meant a lot to you that you want to talk about? It makes me so happy when I get the responses because most of the time I'm like, oh my God. And I don't think I've, there was only one time that I'm like, oh no. Like every other time, like, oh my God, I'm so excited to find out why so-and-so picked this movie. Why Andy Richter picked a James Caan thriller. Why, you know, another friend picked Pee Wee Herman why brian seymour picked valley girl and i'd like to think i know a little bit why because you and i are of certain age we grew up in a certain area and we probably got hbo around the same time yeah am i on the right track yeah you're on the right track i mean set the the stage for me brian when was the first time you saw the 1983 romantic classic valley girl
1: yeah yeah as you had just referred to, getting cable was such a big deal. Um, oh. we, uh, we had one of those boxes that you, know, you press the button on. Yes. You know, and the cable industry was advancing so quickly that we actually had to trade our box in for a box that had actually three rows. Of yes. Box. And then occasionally you'd be able to hit two buttons on either side of the channel you wanted. And it would trick the other channel to come in, and that was HBO because there was no way that my frugal family was going to be paying for no home box office. (laughs) So we actually had it on either side and make HBO come in. Occasionally, it would like go like this, you know. And what did they have, Jeff, before MTV?
0: Oh, uh, video, video jukebox, yeah, cable Friday night videos, video jukebox, um, night flight. Yeah, all, all the uh, all and the video jukebox. This.
1: I mean, you would see things by like Tom Waits. Yeah, and just random videos that you have no idea how they wound up in that format. And then when MTV came, it all kind of obviously followed suit. But
0: yeah, when you read about bands right before, like the late '70s right up until MTV, record companies were just so swimming in cash. You'd be like, hey, why don't you guys make just a couple videos? not for really public consumption but yeah. just as promos that we could send around and be like Huey Lewis a band that wasn't you know that big they had like five great videos in the can before that sports album like sooner or later you're going to know these lies are true yeah. which was an amazing video the who right before just put out face dances which you know you better you bet one of the greatest songs and videos of all time and then it just so happened like MTV hit okay we have a Whole channel, we need to fill. Does anyone have videos? And they're, they're like, "The who's like, we have some, some guy who's, you know, donny Iris is like, I have videos. Who are you? Like, doesn't matter. I have videos. Get them on there. Get them yeah. on there.
1: Yeah, and then the the all the new wave bands just kind of leaned into it and so great and redefined. You know, I mean, some of those early we and again, I'm speaking, um, looking at your FM 1063 sticker over your right shoulder there. Yeah. We were fortunate enough to have HTG. Yeah,
0: WHTG, 106.3, the Rock Wave.
1: The yeah, Jersey dear shore. listeners, we, uh, we didn't know each other. So Jeff and I did not know each other at this point in our lives. He was in Belmore. I was in uh, Lincroft, which is just outside Red Bank, New Jersey. And uh, FM 106.3 was in Eaton Town. It was essentially next to the Parkway. just a radio tower. It was a hut. 493-2002. I remember the number. I used to request songs all the time. Yep. And I think they came on the air, help me, jeff like eighty three eighty four yeah
0: I'd say eighty three or eighty four
1: yep. yeah, yep, and they went from a you know like a I don't even know what format they were before, but I just know suddenly there was a place where you could hear the Clash and the Smiths and echo and the change button. your change
0: your life, right,
1: yeah, and me it too. really did, and I mean that was Mike Marone was on there, Loretta windis, Matt Pinfield. Mark um, cross Tierney, yep, yeah. rich Robinson, who rich you know, Robinson, yeah, program director. But they were accessible, too, and they were on the scene and they, you know, they, they were. They promoted the, the hell
0: out of all the great shows like they were everywhere. Every show you went to, whether you were at like what Donovan's Reef or whether you were all the way down in Lavalette at some you know, Joey Surf Shack or whatever, you'd see one of the DJs at the show. You'd yeah. go see the Canals and you'd be like, this is great. And you'd see two of the DJs just like hanging out. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go talk to Matt Pinfield. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think Valley Girl, like watching it again, I was amazed just how great the music synced up with the vibe of the music, Mm -hmm. a great directing job, I think, by um, the director, like Martha Coolidge, picking the songs. And, you know, movies back then, they they needed that pizzazz of a song to just like propel a scene. But when the movie opens and it's just this panoramic shot of the Hollywood Hills going into the Valley and it's that song, it's so spirited. It's um, girls like me, Bonnie Hayes with the wild combo. It just set the tone for like, it's going to be fun. And I remember being a kid flipping on HBO, watching and being like, I'm in love with Deborah Foreman and all three of her friends (laughs) Nicolas Cage is the coolest guy in the world and that was right at the time where I'm like discovering that kind of cool music I mean it just synced up same with you
1: well especially when like you you alluded to you know HBO like MTV didn't have a lot of content so they would show things (laughs) all the time so you would see the movie so often that you would join it at different times seeing that scene where they go to Hollywood and they go to the club and Peter case is on stage, just seeing the live band and just being like, yes, I want,
0: I want to do that. I want to go to a cool
1: club. And this room is exactly the antidote to the suburban life that I had been given, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. I had good friends, but like, you know, sitting in the basement, listening to Kansas albums, you know, yeah. there I knew there was more. And it's funny because when HTG came around and I shed those, those classic rock influences i mean you think about it those those powerful dj personalities like for us it was like um i'm not even gonna remember the name of jeff but like scott muni on NDW. oh yeah yeah from the oh, classic rock, rock. yeah 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 and they had mmr in philly yep same station same parent company i think yep. so it's like you had these big rock personalities but the htg guys and 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 uh women were were just they loved music and Complete that kind music of reminded marks. me of You know, you see Valley Girl and you're like, wow, the people who did this movie, they obviously got the idea of how the music syncs. And now everybody talks about music supervising in sync. But like back then, it was rare to see somebody who pulled the thread all the way through with the music that kind of matched the scene, especially like contrasting the more like kind of uh, electronic music that was at the preppy party. Yeah.
0: Like kind of just bad like he even alludes to it, Nicholas Cage. I forget what he called it, but like he just had yeah. a derogatory term for it. And you know, that was, is gutless, gutless. Yes, yeah. Chip. Chip. One of his notes was he's just like, you know, they're they're talking about like this, you know, the, the 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 new wave rich kids versus the the punk, you know, Hollywood punks. And there's no punk music in it at all. There's, no, there's, no. The closest they could get, and the story behind it, it's hysterical. The closest they could get was the Plimsolls, who that song is one of the great top 10 songs of the 80s, just raw rock power, not necessarily punk, but it it had the right vibe. Yeah. Uh, They originally wanted the band X. Of course. She had them all slated to go. And that would have been amazing. I picture like Billy Zoom, Exyn Cervenka, John Doe. just being themselves they just being themselves in 1983 holy crap and what happened was you know john doe really smart guy he did not want to alienate he thought the movie was going to make fun of valley people he didn't want to alienate his valley fans so he Mm -hmm. said we have to decline this movie propelled the plimsoll song and the band like they would not have had a career plimsolls only put out two albums and they broke up like pretty quick
1: And Peter Case is still like a songwriter in the world. Like he's
0: still out doing it. You want to hear a great thing? This is what I love when we watch a movie like this. I always learn two or three neat things that, like me, I like to go deep in stupid music knowledge. Peter Case was in the band, The Nerves. The Nerves have one of the greatest pop punk songs of all time hanging on the telephone made popular by Blondie. Yeah, Yeah, sure. sure. They did the original version a year before. It is one of my favorite songs of all time. And I'm like, the nerves, one hit wonder album, rest of the album, not great. But that song was so great. And I never followed up like who was in it. Peter Case was in it, broke them up, went on Plimsolls, and then went and did other stuff. Yeah, Peter Case had some songs on HTG. Your first Valley Girl memories was watching it with your brothers, your sister, just chilling out, then running out buying the, the records.
1: Yeah, and the crazy thing is that we'd heard the Frank Zappa song. I don't remember, to be honest, if it came before or after. It did yeah? Uh, do came you know? Was a, it came out about a year and a half before the movie was. Before, made. so it's like people knew, and and maybe that's you know why X is sensitive to it because that was obviously more of a, a mocking kind of. Oh tone. totally yeah. It, um, Frank
0: Zappa really had hatred of that yeah, scene.
1: Yeah, so I think that that kind of did something. But then we didn't know who Nick Cage was, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but. To me, it was definitely the, the 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 appeal of kind of pushing against that status quo that I knew, like as a kid. And I'm not going to like tell you that it made me kind of run out and buy a guitar. I mean, I was already playing since I was a kid, so I had I had this hollow body harmony that uh, I have no idea where it is now. That my mom probably sold a garage sale for seven dollars. Come on, Miss Seymour, Jesus. Yeah, I know. But she's um, a lovely lady, by the way. Very lovely. But the idea was like. It wasn't about me then, oh, I want to go like be in a band, or you know, it just was something about I want to be part of creative work that can tie music and 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 all that together. Like it just seemed more exciting to me than watching. I don't know, Grizzly Adams. I don't, what, what, <laughs> I don't, what was on? I don't even know what was on back then. Yes. But and I know that when you asked me about a film, I know that I was supposed to talk about like *Miller's Crossing*. Or no, no, boom. Some movie that like no. was profound, nope. and and I got lots of those. But to be honest, it was this film that was fun, and I go back and I watch it, and it was exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. You know, just is that eighties thinness where like the acting Super thin. is very wooden and the, yep. the dialogue is terrible. Even the lighting is awful. Every, yeah,
0: like- there's it's not a well-made movie in the sense where like the dialogue flows <laughs> yeah. or like the scenes, like you can't say like that long pan shot yeah. of them. No. Nope. It's just like a weird That's camera. <laughs> They're really not capturing all four of the people in the booth eating french fries. You get like a shoulder of one yeah. girl. Yeah. One of my favorite things when it first started was, I needed subtitles because the sound was really low on the four girls talking, setting the vowel speak. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm getting this kind of, I'm getting this, but then once you had subtitles, it was hysterical. Like one of my favorite, all right. What is your, my favorite vowel speak. And that's what they called it. Uh, Valley girl talk was called vowel speak. Uh, When, when she goes, Oh, his brains are bad news, bad news. His
1: brains are bad news. (laughs) holy crap and 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 then when 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 he gets on screen for the first time he refers to himself as a val dude yes <laughs> he and says something like i'm the finest val dude around yeah. something like how,
0: that. how great was he tommy what did he yeah. epitomized? they're just like what kind of character? a uh, total dick yeah let's just make him a total dick yeah he's like
1: five five steps inside the uh, audition they're like yep
0: <laughs> he literally walked in with the pop collar they're like that's it. I got it. You got a total dick. Come here. He was so great in that role. Like he just looked like every guy I hated in high school. Yeah. Every guy you you've run into, like just where you did not want to like see that type of guy. Well, and his henchmen friends, you know,
1: (laughs) they were all in student government, I'm sure. (laughs) And, you know, there's the there was the muscular Michael J. Fox, you know, the the guy who was his friend who was like a dead ringer for Michael J. Fox. And he just like stood around. He's like, who do you want me to who do you want me to clear out? You need me to clear somebody out? Yeah, I love those oh,
0: guys. And I remember, like, because you were rooting for Nicolas Cage so hard. And when he got a shot in, you're like, oh, he's going to be formidable. He, It's normally like the, the outsider guy gets his ass kicked really bad. Yeah. But he didn't get his ass kicked really bad. And later on, like, his friend said, like, what do you want to get your ass kicked And He's like, hey. He goes, hey. He goes, hey they had, He had help. He had help. Yeah, they held him. Right? him. They held they his held arms. Him. Right. Come on. So, Val, total pukoid. I love that. And then Tripendicular.
1: Yeah.
0: I think the way they wrote the dialogue was, it wasn't too forced. I thought all, so, the, yeah. all Like all the, oh my gods and all that. I thought it was really well done. And it was I, reserved for the
1: girls when they were together, which yes, was. Yes.
0: And I, I thought, and that's the thing I really loved about the movie. It was, it was a horny teen movie. It was super horny. But mostly from the female perspective, they're talking about guys' bodies. They're talking about wanting to do it, naive about it, but they really think they want to explore. And most of the teen comedies back then, save for half of Fast Times, which they showed a really good guy perspective, female perspective, this was, except for like, you know, he didn't even really talk to his Nicholas Cage talked to his buddy that much about he's just like yeah I like this girl yeah but most of the dynamic kind of interplay was with the
1: women which I thought was really cool even even the uh Susie's mom character you know who was Beth. competing you can call me Beth uh competing with her daughter um again a nice little like oh. flip on it instead of Stacy's mom has got it going on kind of thing um it was more the mom you know who was pursuing um chip chip really thought that the
0: b story of skip was like he's kind of a dud like i think maybe you needed him to be a dud like that kind of clueless guy like absolutely man do i want to just hook up with her maybe i could hook up with the mom i don't want to ruin the twist but i thought that scene was great
1: and what's the monsters of monster of love is that um sparks
0: sparks yes
1: yeah yeah i mean again perfectly placed for like a Uh, the kind of band that could only have existed in the 80s. Oh, my God. Yeah, they had like two songs on this
0: soundtrack. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let me one thing we do about these movies, but I try to throw in some fun facts. Uh, We mentioned earlier Frank Zappa. He had a hit with the song Valley Girl, and he sued to try to get this movie not to be made. He actually said people think that Valley Girl is a happy kind of song, but it isn't. I always hated the San Fernando Valley. It's the most depressing place um he was at the time collaborating on a script about the song that wouldn't be like beach blanket bingo he said he wanted something a little more like yeah dark so he tried to get it he sued them for like a hundred thousand dollars in punitive damages and he failed too bad weirdo
1: nicholas cage's career would have been the dumb he never would have gotten his break if it wasn't for this film you know
0: i like uh a, yeah right it's weird what do they call A nepo baby <laughs> um, Nicholas Cage, uh, you know his big thing was he lived in his car for a week before filming to get the raw feel of yeah. being like a Hollywood. Punk. he looked like that
1: actually did that well. Yeah,
0: yeah. The longer you looked at Nicholas Cage, like when they first showed him like striding up from the beach and he's all like cut up, and you're like, wow, he's a good looking guy. But the longer they panned on him, he looked like just a weird muppet.
1: Yes, it's, it's before
0: he-, he got his teeth fixed.
1: Yeah. And he had that equilateral triangle that was like the superheroes, but it was just hair.
0: Do you know they had to, they forced him to shave his body to form a V because he was so hair suit. They thought that he would look too old. They're like, his body <laughs> yeah. looked like an, he was super hairy. So they made the, the concession to be like, you can keep some hair and he's like, yeah.
1: all right, cool. There that were was, several yeah, mentions of his bod. And yeah, it was.
0: Yeah, his, the girls are just like, you know, what's your name? Little, um, the little squeaky voice. I'm thinking, who's, um, yeah. you know, I'm talking. God, she him. was a great
1: vehicle for the whole Valley vibe.
0: Oh, but, yeah, just yeah. great. And her character, she couldn't, this is a little tidbit. She couldn't nail a Valley girl speak. So they made her character and they mentioned it. she was from Malibu. Ah, so she couldn't nail it. But the, the thing I also liked about it, Deborah Foreman, very cute all the girls in their pack were cute. They weren't like knockouts. They were very, they look like girls. Mm -hmm. They look like normal girls, like high school age, you know, very cute, all charismatic. And then for the guys, they just went total stereotype. Like they made, you know, Tommy and his friends were just like maybe (laughs) 25 year old, just asshole looking guys. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas. uh, Oh, and another thing, are you ever going to find another movie where the leading man's name is Randy? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> who's randy yeah it's awesome
0: Just his name would be like dirk
1: yeah or randy, something and, like. randy and fred and fred's one of the great characters of film too you know he that's plays, a great role but he's got he's got the sweetness and he like he looks out for his friend even if yep. he's kind of a, a wimp about it um but and i yeah. love i love the scene where he finally wears down her
0: friend after the night of him yeah. playing shotgun and at the yeah. end you see her kind of warm up to him and that was super yeah. cute yeah, yeah. Fred Stacy. Yes. Um, here's two things. Judd Nelson was
1: almost cast as Randy. Your thoughts? No, yeah, yeah no, no. Cause because he he would have made it like intense. And that yeah. didn't need to be like a simmering character. It needed yeah. to exactly what it was. There, there, there's there's a moment that they did uh Fred comes in and he says, uh, oh, what is this bait? like for sushi, like he doesn't know what it does. And, oh, it's, it's sushi. Don't you know? But Nicholas Cage knows. Yeah. You know, like he picks up the sesame paste and it's like, so he's got that little. Yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And you wouldn't want him to be like, um, yeah, you, you don't want him to be like too serious. You want him to just be like, I'm living in this moment. And there's no mention of his parents. There's nope. no backstory. That was perfect. Nope. Wasn't that great? Because you didn't need it. Right. Yeah. You would think the obligatory goes home and there's the trailer. His dad's drunk and he's just like, you know, get
0: out of here. Nope, they didn't need that. I thought that was very well done. Another thing we always talk about, Chip and I, every 80s movie that we love usually has two things. If it's around an hour and a half, it means it's a great movie. This was 99 minutes. Just perfect. The thing it doesn't have, which we love, a freeze frame ending where everybody from the movie is at the end and they're like, This came very close. Like when they're running out of the prom, like they should have just stopped it. like Yeah, totally. um, Brian, Michelle Pfeiffer was originally considered for the role of Julie.
1: Wow. She was
0: was four years older than Deborah Foreman at the time. And like you said about,
1: you don't want her to be too alluring. You want her to be like just a suburban girl or whatever. Yeah, just
0: a cute suburban girl who you know, and she had some depth to her, you know, she was like, maybe I do need something more. Maybe I need to get out of my little bubble here. And did you ever experience when you were in high school, when you got older, someone from your group, you, a guy friend, a girlfriend who dated from a different part of town, a different kind of culture, bad boy, bad girl, or that you could equate
1: this movie with like any sort of? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we were a bunch of guys who listened to Kansas records in the basement. so (laughs) There wasn't a lot of like cross town dating that was getting us in trouble. You know, more there was a guy in my neighborhood who actually had his own ping pong paddle that was like sandpaper. So that was that was about the most dangerous that we got. I got you. Um, I remember when my brothers went away to college and I was at this party or that party, whatever. And. Song came on. And I was like, what is this song? This guy's like, it's the Femmes. And I went to Jack's Music in Red Bank. There you go. A head shop posing as a music, you know. Yeah. Establishment. It's where you got
0: tickets. I just went, I used to, we used to take the train just to buy
1: tickets. Just to buy tickets. And I bought, you know, the Violent Femmes and I t- come home and I put it on. And why can't I get just one? Yeah. Like, oh, shit. I'm turned down. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, putting, you know. Oh, man. Couldn't believe it. I was like, this is. This yeah. Is things are different. Something something's happening here. And, you know, just, just two years ago, I'm like, you know, I'm at the point of no return with Canada. You're just, you know, you're like, put up, what do you guys want to do? I don't know. Put on left overture again. Sure. Yeah. Little little prog rock. um, Lots of rush. There was rush going on. Sure. It's all my share, share shows, but then, you know, two years later, it's all echoing the bunny men, you know, it's suddenly, that stuff is around, but it's not um, it's not the music that was pulling me forward to wherever I was going. You know. Yeah,
0: I, I equate it to like a, a, a switch was flipped. Yeah. You know, um, at around this time, I was a freshman, sophomore and my friend Eileen Hankins, who was the cool chick. She was just cooler than everybody else. She was a vegetarian before everyone else. She had like the dyed Mohawk type hair. And she started dating a guy who was two to three years older named Rafe, who was in a band, no progress in progress, and he was a punk, maybe one of the sweetest guys I ever met, and we're like, who's this guy? (laughs) Couldn't have been nicer. He made, he gave me a mixtape, and it had Dag Nasty on one side, Descendants on the other, and it fucking changed my life. Along with HTG, Eileen Hankins was the one who was like, put on 106.3 now. Holy crap, what are the Smiths? Holy crap. And then she's dating this cool guy. You know, he looked like a punk, and we went and would see his band, and we're just like, Ray's really cool. Still to this day, great friends with him. And no matter what I post about music, he's always like, who do you have to thank? And I'm like, you (laughs) buddy. And you should tell
1: people, it, it wasn't like a college radio station, oh, but no. it still did not have a big bandwidth. No. So you really had to kind of know the perimeter of where you could be. You could get it at the Manasquan Beach. It's about as far south as you can yep. get it. Um, And then when you're driving up north, you can kind of go up towards Old Bridge and then you start to lose it. And it's interesting because I think that's, you know, up there is where Bon Jovi's from. So I think his uncle like jammed the signal so that you could only listen to Bon Jovi up there. He's just like, nope, this is staying classic rock from
0: from Sarah, Old Bridge, Saraville, the yeah. uh, the Driscoll Bridge. That's our territory. But yeah, but
1: but it wasn't like people are thinking that we're we're listening to like 120 minutes, and it's interesting, right? Because 120 minutes is how a lot of America learned about this music, and we got Matt Penfield, the Love Child, he called himself, in the evenings, oh my god, night and stuff, and. I could say to you some bands that I had the actual vinyl of, cause we had silver tunes and like all these record stores that supported the station, vintage right? vinyl, silver tunes. Yep. Vintage vinyl. And like you would go there and you'd come home with a record by like a drop in the gray. And you'd be like, I don't know <laughs> what this is. <laughs> you just like, you know, guy at the record shop was playing it or he liked it. And you know, so you wind up having all these bands, um, I saw bands in New York, like uh, the Dell Lords Yeah, were like a, I think they were in New York, weren't they? I think they were a New York band. Um, but there's so many HTG bands that I learned about from them, the Mighty Lemon Drops and like yep. bands that didn't really make it into the next gen, the, the next decade. But I always think about that time and what, what the station felt like is that it always felt like if you were away, you would miss something, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember just driving to vintage vinyl, hearing bourgeois tag song and just walking in there and be like, get me the bourgeois tag cassette, please. (laughs) And of course they had it. And I was just the whole ride home. I'm like, yes, yes. And I still put that on, um, like thankfully it was on Spotify and I still put it on like all these mixes. Maybe the strongest rom-com movie montage scene of any movie.
1: Oh man. Right. See, and this, this damaged me for life. You know, I'm, you know, cause I thought life was just going to be eating hamburgers and pointing at things. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I, did. I thought that's what love was going to be, you know, like, just like everybody, you know, two straws and the whole Making thing. Making
0: little faces like, Oh, she's stealing my French fry. Like they
1: did that like two or three times. and <laughs> <laughs> Lots of pointing, definitely lots of like mocking, like, you know, like, but I, I didn't, it didn't work out that way. No, no. Life's
0: different than that. It's yeah. mostly like phone calls, um, then trying to meet up at a party and then not going to the right party and then not seeing that person because there's no way they get in contact with them and be like, yeah, all right, maybe next weekend.
1: Yep. Yep. Back to, back to the basement, you know, play some ping pong. Yeah.
0: Um, One of the things I loved about this movie from the get-go, the celebration of mall culture of the eighties, like right away, they're just like mall, baby Mm -hmm. fast between fast times. And the thing about this movie and fast times, very similar fast times came out a year before the acting, the production value directing, all that in fast times was so great. Yeah. Comedic timing pacing the cutaway shots after like someone delivers a line all that was not present in Ballet Girl. No, <laughs> and that's what I kind of love about it. It was just such a yeah. different, like you said, wooden, <laughs> but it was
1: so perfect in a sense. Like, yeah. it, well, it 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 was there was not a ponderous moment in it. It just kept <laughs> it just kept rolling along, which is great because they didn't they didn't try. I mean, other than the montage, which was like the whole length of Modern English's yeah, you know, I'll Mellus yeah, you know, it was the whole damn song. But still, other than that, it, it just it kind of kept moving. the The only like weird moments were like with her hippie parents, and there were supposed to be these like kind of poignant little <laughs> lessons. Yeah, didn't, didn't connect to anything. So I don't know if that was all on the floor on the cutting room floor. Probably not. It was probably just like all they had. They probably had 103 minutes of film.
0: Oh yeah, but- <laughs> you
1: know what I loved
0: about it? The two actors who played her parents. Yeah. We're in a movie together four years prior, Apocalypse Now. No, two actors. Yeah, like there's there, a fact. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a a fact that I I'm like hell yes this is great. Um, again, I got to give credit to uh, the movie, the, the director, um, the director of the movie who I mentioned, Martha Coolidge. She was only paid five thousand dollars for the gig. This oh looks like Brian's coming back.
1: There we go. Sorry, it was he, the ghost of Chip. You froze and then I froze. Oh, uh, we're back. Sorry, I didn't mean to imply Chip was dead. I just...
0: Well, we don't know. We, Ryan, we're, we're not all on this earth forever, right? God bless him if he's gone. He, he, he brought a lot of joy to some people. <laughs> um, this movie, obviously, based on what we said, super strict budget constraints. They only had about not a lot of money for this movie, maybe $600,000. Director Martha Coolidge was only paid five grand for the whole gig. Um, she also made the movie Valley Girl, of course, real genius and rambling rose, real genius. On the other hand, mm-hmm. very well, great flow, great comedic timing. So she yeah. learned. Yeah, she learned how to do it. She got she really was like kind of progressive. She's like, I want to make a movie from a girl's point of view. She wanted one of the four girls to be African-American with the friggin producers of the movie said no cuz back then 80s just like no we yeah. need white people she tried really hard and then they said you know no the thing that about the movie that you really learn how that they had no money when when it came to the the soundtrack we said there was no punk music well they they originally had the jam x the clash rama even though they're not really punk but they had some punk in it they had the scenes with the music and then at the very end they're like oh we have to get rights for this and they only had like 250000 dollars for music rights, couldn't get all the all the bands they wanted for the punk. But in the credits, they didn't they didn't have money to redo the credit scene. So all these bands are listed yeah. in the credits. Oh. You'll see like the Clash, Banana Rama, Culture Club, the That's Jam. Amazing. And they weren't in the movie. And she's just like, yeah. Um We just didn't want to like spend the money.
1: You know, this is a very common problem in music supervising because there, um, a lot of people don't realize that the music is the last thing that gets synced up. Okay. So What the directors often do is they will put in a song that's a placeholder. Okay. And the music supervisor's job is to find something that kind of fills that spot. Problem is, is that directors often fall in love with the placeholder. Oh, because that's what they're used to. Then they ask the music supervisor, I, I need that song. And they're like, Well, that's gonna be three-fifths of your budget. And they're like, Well, then you got it. So then they find independent artist to kind of fill it in. Um, so yeah, that 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 definitely can happen. Um, and the music usually goes pretty late, so the music is decided on pretty late. You
0: had uh you had a song, I know, at least on one soundtrack, Turning Green, correct?
1: Yeah, and that that's another great example, Jeff. Is that um I don't want to go telling stories out of school about the directors but they loved this version of um i'll be long gone by boss Skaggs that i did on a tribute record a philly record
0: uh-huh.
1: um and there was a scene when cole Meany who is like the the wise older friend um he has some debts and stuff happens or whatever anyway he just gets the crap beat out of him mm-hmm. and the boy comes to see him it's all in ireland boy yeah. comes to see him and they played almost that whole song in that film, in that scene. And the director sent it to me and I was like, guys, that is beautiful filmmaking. But you got asked Boss Skaggs for the rights to that song. They're like, who's this? What's this now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boss what, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, so couldn't, couldn't do it. Boss Gags people wouldn't, wouldn't uh, come to terms with them. So they had to use something else. And uh, I got the credit song for the film, which is great. Love but- Me, was that the song? Love me. Yeah. Thank you. It's a great, great um, way to end that. And what a great film, too. If people, I love that movie. It, oh, my it, God. It's on, uh, yeah. It's on one of those Amazon or Netflix. It's called Turning Green. It's got Timothy Hutton and Cole and and uh, Alessandro Nelson. Navallo.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite dudes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good soundtrack, too. Uh, Not a Surf, Iron and Wine. Yeah. Yeah. It's really solid. I want to talk to you about soundtracks because I would say next to 16 Candles this this valley girl one right up there obviously john hughes really pushed the kind of music driven accenting scenes but he had such great taste in music like he was just so good at it like if you have psychedelic furs on any soundtrack
1: it's my way just right underneath there i mean they they're they're just such great soundtrack fodder because it's interesting sounding it's still rock and roll his voice doesn't pull you away yeah it it I mean, it was right under there.
0: Yeah, amazing. Uh, Another, Josie Cotton. She was in, obviously, the final scene. Johnny, are you queer? He could be the one. Uh, She's amazing. Uh, Nicolas Cage tried to date her. He asked her out during the filming. That sounds about right. Yeah, she said no. Um, Don't put another dime in a jukebox. The flirts, like just one hit wonders. The songs, though, were just so perfect for that. Here's the thing that always amazed me. Uh, she talks in stereo by a guy named Gary Myrick. Now, there's a guy named Pat Travers and Gary Myrick, and they didn't do a lot, you know, after this, because of the, I think just because of their names, Brian, like that, yeah. they're they're not, like Gary Myrick, you know, mm-hmm. maybe Gary Coolzone, Gary like Sword Flasher, some, something like tougher or yeah. something, or, Snapper, yeah. right, just something. But you know, they they they
1: they were on the soundtrack. Who can it be now? The shower scene. Well, and and you're you're, you're kind of touching on it there because you're getting a band that did have pop success, became kind of like a pop band. Yeah, they were just a straight up, yeah, like they were all all at once. And I always remember reading Ben Fold's quote in um, an interview in Rolling Stone years ago, and he said, the problem with talking to musicians about growing up is that no one wants to admit they were listening to men at work. (laughs) it's like but it was on it was on every station and everybody was like who can it be you know you know and the Vegemite and sandwich and all that but the truth is is that you know people want to curate their past oh yeah and it's hard because you know I would love to say that I was listening to Tom Waits as a kid but I just told you the first time I heard Tom Waits was on the video jukebox and I was like who is this guy yeah, uh, you know, a this- hobo can sing. <laughs> and and but I mean not for nothing. I was still in high school and I, you know, learned about them and I bone machine like, anyway. The idea was you don't have to kind of go back and dress up your past. If anything, you got to think about well, all of those people who are making music were also listening to yeah. all of those bands. And you you are kind of the sum total of the music that you have listened to, you know, to me. And I'm not talking about just what you hear on the radio. The stuff that you, like you said before, you buy the cassette, you you play it, you flip it. You, you know, I mean, I can say some of those bands that I mentioned before, I, I jotted a couple down because I knew I would forget them. The Dell Lords. Um, oh, Guadalcanal Diary. Oh, yes. I had that vinyl. Yeah. So I had I had the cassette and I used to play it when I was driving around mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And it's like, where is that band? I don't know. But it was part of what I was listening to. I
0: bought at the same time because of HTG Guadalcanal Diary and Icicle Works albums at the same time. Whisper to a Scream.
1: Yeah, see now Whisper to a Scream, that's like that song I mentioned before about uh, the records we played. Mm -hmm. Very precious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Whisper to a Scream.
0: Well, you know, like I'm a 13 year old and I'm like, yeah, oh hell yeah.
1: Well, you go back and you listen to like Ultravox. Oh. And it's good stuff, but then you listen to it and you're like, you know, dancing. You're choosing my... Oh, they're
0: they're they're a hoot. I watched the Ultra like, documentary. We?
1: But that was the 80s, man. You know?
0: Vienna. Oh my god, Vienna was the most like poignant song. Like yeah. uh, boom, boom, tsh, boom, boom boom tsh, tsh, boom boom boom, when that came on MTV, I was just enrapped. I was like, yes. It yes, didn't song. mean that I
1: couldn't listen to the clash, you know, the clash, the clash was just a standard record for me yep but it also didn't mean that i couldn't like turn around and listen to uh you know dancing with tears in my eyes
0: oh yeah 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 (laughs) um yeah so this soundtrack is just perfectly like synced up perfectly put together the tracking like everything about it was just it was fun it this movie wouldn't have been anywhere near as palatable if it didn't if it wasn't driven by literally like every scene i think you know, so. like a lot of movies today they'll take breaks they'll just play some atmosphere stuff have nothing yeah. just but this song you're just like it was like video segments it was like oh yeah. here's the here's yeah. the modern english video
1: <laughs> and i think not having music under Tommy stuff like when they had like the not you know like the bad guy on the scene like just dead air yes <laughs> this guy is not exciting we're, we're not, not gonna, gonna support him we're and not then... gonna
0: buoy him with any sort
1: of goodness
0: that might make him something he's not yeah when, he... when skip
1: is riding the bike in the monster of love that's like a little music video right i mean there's yeah, no yeah. Dog, there's no nothing yeah
0: oh skip what a dud i love calling someone a dud um someone on twitter had one of the funniest lines So, like if you give your kid a cat and he names him kitty he's a dud <laughs> he's a dud calling a kid a dud um yeah so i'm like what's as good as valley girl and i always go back i remember i you had a party like 20 years ago maybe and i brought records to play at the party and i didn't have pretty in pink which is one of my favorite soundtracks and i remember going to the record store in ardmore and it was one of the funniest things i'm digging through crates and I just cannot find any all the soundtracks. And I go to the guy, I go, Man, you don't have pretty and pink soundtrack. He goes, He didn't say a word. He goes, Follow me. We go upstairs, opens up a bin, and there are literally 20 pretty and pinks. So he goes, I guess there's none downstairs. They're all he goes, <laughs> we
1: always have pretty and pinks. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say he, he took you upstairs and he gave you a balloon that said dud on it.
0: <laughs> I was a bit of a dud,
1: but boy, <laughs> oh
0: boy. Like, when, when you started getting bands like New Order on yeah. soundtracks, like, yeah. when it just went from, like, you know, In Excess, whatever, but then, like, Echo and, and the Bunnymen, New Order, and then The Smiths, like, Please, oh, Please, Bring on the Dancing Horses was on oh,
1: there. Yeah. Like
0: that whole, like, left, Suzanne Vega with Joe Jackson, Left of Center, like, I still hear that, and it just kind of yeah. makes me think about all that like teen anxiousness and like liking a girl and finding a girl who also liked this music or turning a girl onto this music and whether she dug it or it's like nah i'm not really into it you're like well this is over you know because it was so important to you back then i went from one year freshman year of my whole notebook is just cheap trick the who rush iron maiden drawing bush beer mountains, trying to be cool. And then a year later, it's just punk bands, The Smiths yeah. and you know Echo and The Bunnyman, just like that, that. And it's movies like this that if you look back. You talk about comfort food, you talk about stuff like that. And that's why Chip and I started doing this like a year and a half ago. What makes you happy? Not to use a hacky phrase, what sparks joy? I call it being like a nostalgia monster where it can just dominate your life and that's who you are. You're like, no, I'm the guy who just loves 80s music. That's fine. Don't make it your whole thing, but find comfort in it, find, you know, joy in it, but still, you know, check out what's new.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great, it's a great way to break whatever, whatever's got you down, you know, like, yeah. When I talk to people about creativity, I always say, you know, if you are stuck, I write my way through anything. That's why I write really Bad, ponderous songs, but it's just the effect of writing as you get through stuff. But I get it. People walk around, they can't decide what to put down. I always say to them, you know, go back there. There was a moment that there was a a venue, a live venue right through the Lincoln Tunnel. It was an outside, they called it the Pier. I don't know if you ever saw any shows there. Mm -hmm. And I saw the Smiths play there. And that's a whole other story that I can't tell on this podcast. It's too hilarious and too long. But I saw the cure there and all the new yorkers all the staten island girls you know they all came with like their big lampshade hair and the, everything robert smith comes out with a big oversized suit and a, a flat top and i was just like see one step ahead of all these new yorkers
0: holy you know, crap
1: and, but i remember what it felt like to be one done like done be outdone by this artist who you already like have it out for yeah And I always say to people, you're stuck, go there. Go listen to like a live recording or just go listen to Head on the Door and remember how you were. Let yourself listen to Say Goodnight." I I was supposed to be doing work two weeks ago. This or that or the other thing. I'm like, always overscheduled. And uh, my friend says, "Uh, what are you doing? I'm like, honestly, I was learning uh, a night like this on the piano by The Cure. (laughs) Why? I don't know. Just because I felt like channeling that at that moment I felt like that's what I needed to be doing. And I think people do close a door on things. I'm not I'm not encouraging people to go out and watch Valley Girl. <laughs> but if if it you should. Have, but if you have one of those, then that's what you do. You go to that and, and you watch it because Newsflash, Jeff, it's all out there. Yeah. Everything everything you can remember is, is out there somewhere, you know, for streaming. It's,
0: yeah, it's it's insane how easily accessible everything is unique like you really get appalled and angry you're like well, how come i can't watch over the edge a movie from 1981 yeah. that literally like i was obsessed with for like two straight years of my life like and then you're like oh wait i found it
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah um hey siri play me all of the flintstones episodes with uh you know madam yes in it <laughs> on it you know I, i've changed my siri to a male of course because yeah. I don't need to be bossing around a woman. That's not the... that's good,
0: Brian. That's good. Um, one of the greatest things I discovered about this movie, and I, I tweeted about it a year ago or so the artwork, if you look at the poster for Valley girl, and it's this very prominent shot of Nicolas cage, all punked up with a girl uh, all kind of Valley girled up. It's not Deborah Foreman and it looks nothing like Deborah Foreman and what happened was they didn't want to pay Deborah Foreman extra for the photo shoot for the movie poster. And wow. the producer's like, fine. And they just got another woman who looked nothing like her. Yeah. Put, put her in Deborah Foreman said, uh, worked in the, she was pretty strict about, yeah, she was, Deborah Foreman was very strict about being paid for what she did good for her. And when they said, no, we're not going to pay you. Um, they brought in a model rather than Deborah. She was shocked and thought it was pretty petty, bad idea. And sadly, the producer, I mean, the director didn't know about it until after the fact. So if you just look at it, you're just like, what the hell? Because to me, she is so iconic looking, Deborah Foreman. Like just, she has such a unique look to her that when you see a movie post like that, you're like, is that some sort of weird foreign market thing that yeah, was, yeah, right?" right? That had a name like, you know, Translated poorly like other side of the tracks, girl. And you know, they just threw it together. No, that's the official movie poster. The girl who played Susie and Deborah Foreman were both in Real Genius, the movie 1985 afterwards, and Michelle Mayrink. And Mayrink was also the girlfriend of Gilbert Lowe in the 1984 Revenge of the Nerds.
1: What was the so it was Susie and uh Stacy? Yep,
0: Stacy. Stacy I I had a thing for Stacy I thought she was super cute but yeah
1: I mean it's a major takeaway of the film that I wish I had a committed friend like Stacy who would you know work behind my back to meddle in my private life (laughs) I just wish I had somebody that loyal you know who would be like my Machiavelli Billy I know what you need and you know
0: yeah, I thought it was, I thought the big turn, I'm like, well, how, you know, halfway through, you're like, these two are in love, like, how is it going to go sour? Is he going to be a dick? And I thought it was not the most kind of like clever way where she kind of blew him off. And, and then I didn't think it was like the most clever way of like, how they got back together at the end. Like it just,
1: but what was good, about, what was good about it at the end, though, it was so believable as like, it, 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 it just what normal people would do, you know, yeah. like, We don't really have a plan
0: you know yeah one of my my favorite things and brian you have to uh, you have to admit most people when they're running to go attack someone if they get a little piece of pie thrown near them they will just fall on the ground oh yeah there's no way you're gonna survive that the best scene like he's just running hell on she went like and he went like "Ah!" (laughs) oh and for some reason in the movie a, a movie flub is he was wearing a pink tuxedo and they all were in that scene, he had on black pants and a pink tux jacket like they didn't even bother to be like he probably got his pink in one of the scenes, got like cake all over. And you're just like, well, put on these pants. We'll reshoot. They didn't, they didn't even bother reshooting. I it's just a little thing I noticed.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I now that you say that, too, I remember the uniform that they were both wearing when they came into the party, which was like red and black, and they both had shirts upon shirts, Yes. Shirts upon shirts. You know, you've got like one layer under the other layer. Yeah. This was a big
0: thing. Pop collars. Right. Mm -hmm. We always ask um, our guests to give an elevator pitch. If let's say, Brian, you're teaching class, you're teaching your college students. What's your elevator pitch? One or two sentences to get them to watch this movie.
1: Why should they watch Valley Girl? They should watch Valley Girl to understand how 80s culture actually unfolded not the way it happened on like television ah nice television had like a version of 80s culture where everything was kind of uh i don't know everything kind of worked out and it was kind of like i don't know what do you want to say like uh um poppy and scripty this was just like hey real life like that's the way the 80s was people went to the mall (laughs) there was a health food store that was inedible right (laughs) that was a (laughs) <laughs> like being a vegetarian back then, it was just like, you will eat that wheatgrass and you will be happy. You know, there is nothing that you can do about it. You know, you got to make a choice. You're either going to do this or, you know, but no, That's I thought, it, so I thought it was that it was that kind of thing where even like the cars that they drove. Um, yeah. What what people forget is that, yeah, the 80s did see like some, you know, movement forward, but we were still driving the cars of our grandparents. So they were these big boats with like, you know, the two door that was like 100%. You know, yes, yeah. yeah. Ford Galaxy that got like 10 miles to the gallon. But Caprice that was classic that. You could fit like 20 people in that thing, you know. Um, but that that's what it felt like, to me when I watched the movie is to be like, yeah, that, that was kind of how it was, you know.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Those um, I love the scene. I think I really love was the minor disrespect of the four girls in the car during the driving lesson, Ugh. where they did not even acknowledge Les yeah. Nessman. Yeah, he had to jump out of the car. And, and that's so true. Like, I honestly remember things like that, like, where my friend just so enwrapped in their own little thing. And the teachers just being like, guys, guys, guys. Yeah. And if it wasn't like important to them, they'd just be like, oh, what? You? Oh, no. Like, they did.
1: And his only recourse is he's like, failure, you know, like that's it. That was it. A great. He's like, I, uh, failure. But the fact that he rolled out of the car was was pretty classic. That was yeah, I,
0: I do. Like, I, I love movies when they just have those little setting the mood, setting like what teens were like. And I think they captured that really well. You know, ping pong with this movie and Fast Times, where they're a little more overt, where they just show like the van pull up, opens and three Spicoli and his two bench are just... Fall out completely stoned with like smoke, like those little things that, you know what? Back in high school, pretty true. Yeah. Like I remember, you know, I went to like a Catholic high school. There were some of my friends who smoked pot and would just be like, park our cars to get out. Like, hey Pat, hey Phil, and they're just like, car opens up it's before school, yeah. smoke p- pulls out, and totally stoned, and you're just never, like- never too close.
1: Like it was always like a far away spot. <laughs>
0: <Yeah. You know? laughs> I remember once my friend, Pat, who smoked, he left his keys in the car with the car on just, and he had to go to class and the car was just on and it was just like idling. It was like, and it, for like three hours until like it ran out of gas. What did you do? You didn't like call anybody. He goes, no, nah, I didn't want to be late. And they didn't just like test. I actually
1: drove a, uh, a Beetle. So my dad had one when I was a little kid. And so for my first car, there was a guy in the neighborhood selling one. So I, I got it um It took regular gas. <laughs> like it actually, at that time, there was like unleaded. Unleaded and regular. And you always like, yeah, unleaded. What the hell? Two bucks. I could just put two bucks in and I'd be good for like days and days and days, you know? Yeah. Right.
0: You were the guy who got regular gas. Holy crap. Regular gas. I yeah. always wondered, like, who got, yeah, my first car, Skylark, Puick Skylark. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice. Yeah. It wasn't very nice, but it was a cassette it, it, player. When I got the
1: cassette player put in, then it really kind of took off. Because the mixtape phenomenon was just in full swing, you know? Oh, my God.
0: Brian, so we're, us, Brian Seymour fans, we got a lot to look forward to, right? We're all going to go. Ardmore, The Living Room, which is pretty much a living room. Uh, February 14th, it's a Valentine's Day show with the whole Brian Seymour band.
1: Uh, That's going to be the beginning of something. Beginning of something. That's the beginning of the march towards the record. The march. And... To be honest, it, it's the first time that these songs have been performed as a group and the band keeps growing by one person every rehearsal. So by the time we get there it'll be like the last waltz, you know. Are you going
0: gonna... <laughs> Are you going to be
1: doing are you going to be doing the
0: kicks like Van Morrison?
1: Yeah, we had a guy, a friend, an old friend and it's it, this was I should say this was a love record so like during the pandemic it was only people I knew um you know some really great, you know, kind of cameos on the record. Uh, you had mentioned Rich, who we played with forever. Old friend Eliza Hardy-Jones, who is in The War on Drugs now. Uh, Tom Heyman plays guitar on one track. Nice. Um, Mark Tucker. Just lots of people, you know, who, who kind of jumped in and, and played. So the live band's that way, too. And an old friend came to rehearsal last night, and he's just playing keyboards and saying backups. And we already have a keyboard player, and I play piano. But it's okay. <laughs> because there's room for like more people. So, you know, this is kind of a general call if anybody wants to join the band. Um, So
0: it's going to be this deal where we all sit down in the living room and then the music starts and like the two people next to you, just like pull out like a mandolin. You're like, Oh, you're.
1: Yeah. And they will be extending risers. So most of the first (laughs) three rows will just be stage.
0: (laughs) I'm very excited.
1: Yeah. Um, But anyway, to be honest though, so it's, it's unraveling the record and we were gonna, like I said during the pandemic, just kind of release a record like everybody else, and then we started to take our time. So, the the first single, Dandelion, is out now. I really encourage people to listen to it. I'm I'm very excited the way it came together. It's awesome. Got strings, backup vocals, got a little something for everybody in there, as my nanny used to say. But then we're gonna release some singles. So we're gonna release singles with videos in March, April, and May, and then the record. And the video for Dandelion is gonna be debuted on um, valentine's day so that's already been made and we're gonna have a video for each song of course but i just wanted to say if i could just something about american courage is that it's such a strange pairing of words i think even when i said it to you for the first time you know in this day and age things get politicized so easily and the whole idea of the record is that you know we we live through this lockdown which to a lot of us was kind of the, the closest we ever gotten to a an interruption of our civil liberties that we kind of enjoy in this country and the predictable ways that people responded to that were interesting i sat down to write a song that could maybe offer some 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 vision that like america's fine through this you know we were all scared and things were hard we didn't understand things but we've we've gotten through lots of stuff so if you're you're carrying around a mentality that america's done people are like oh it's broken no you know what's broken freaking civil war that's broken right yeah this this is not a broken country and i can't imagine the future without america because we're the weird ones we're the ones who think you know no to aristocracy no to central church no to you know we're yeah, the right. ones who are trying to do it um you know the one of the lines i i was thinking when i was writing this record is you know it's not about who we were it's about who we are going forward it's like it America is a project that just keeps unfolding going forward so I'm so tired of all this talk about you know like how we're done and oh it's broken and politics. yeah so American Courage was written in that vein and to be honest Jeff when I wrote it I wasn't even thinking of myself um you know I thought this would be like a big like anthem that like John Legend could sing and there'd be you know (laughs) there'd be fireworks everywhere and stuff and I'm writing this tune and I'm 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 the kind of writer that I tend to kind of block it out all at once. And the theme and the lyrics are really important to me. So that's always the anchor. But I, I, I'm grateful the fact that it all does seem to kind of come at once. So I shape it and I shape it. I'm working in the basement down there during the pandemic. And I worked at 5 a.m. before everybody got up. And my son came downstairs. He was about seven or eight at the time. And uh, I was playing it on the piano singing and i'm like hey potty what do you what do you think and he's like sounds like elevator music oh. and i was like okay one who's been teaching you about elevator music? <laughs> he's like guy ross of course you know uh you listen to some podcast with guy yeah, yeah. um but i remember like him saying that and being like yeah maybe there is something about that playing something that you're designing to be popular in a wide way oh wow that you 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 kind of retreat from it you know um, this doesn't mean I have to share royalties with him, does it? <laughs> um, but the, when I when I did go to the studio and did the demo, I I I adapted the piano part to leave room for the lyrics. So when I first listened to the song, it feels a little naked and I, I want it to be filled with stuff. And I had to learn that. I had to learn to just kind of let the song let the song be what it is. And I I, I paired a lot of words out. It was all filled, there was everything was in there kind of simplified it and got it out. So really proud of learning that, you know, teaching, uh, teaching me new tricks at this age is really exciting. I can't
0: wait to be in an elevator and hear it. You could do some elevator shows. You're doing a living room show. It could be like Brian in the, uh, circa tower, uh, elevator 16, uh, <laughs> start his first floor. And, uh, that'd be we'll ridiculous. Be I mean, how much do you think it would pay? I don't know. Let's well, check it out. You know, I'll talk to your manager and we'll... You're like I would never do that. How much does it pay?
1: <laughs> but thank you for uh, thank you for the push because uh, oh, yeah, I'm excited. Man, I love uh,
0: all your stuff. Go and go to Spotify. Type in Brian Seymour. Listen to all his older albums, everything up until now. It's really you are a one of my favorite people. And Brian is one of my favorite. This is a true art. I always say between song banter. And I use banter like in a very drawn out. I mean, quick hits. You're very good at going from song to song, um, creating a nice vibe. I'd say you're up there with my favorite. It's probably Blake Schwarzenbach from Jawbreaker. He's an amazing, just little segs, little quips, keeps everything going. Uh, you're right up there with Blake. So um, Thanks, buddy. You know, yeah, this was a lot of fun, Brian. I'm looking forward to seeing
1: you. Do you think um, it's possible that maybe uh, Chip will join us? Oh, yeah. Maybe he'll come out. I think he can come out. No, I meant tonight. You think he'll uh, hop on the, on the pod?
0: You know what? If you're going to log off, I'm just going to keep this rolling for another two hours. Pretty
1: as a dandelion, she ain't like the others. Oh, brave, unafraid. I do my best keeping up. No one close, nowhere near. The very thing that I hold dear. Ask me one lucky man. I play the puppet at her command. Yeah, I find a way. Yeah, I whisper twice every day. I don't care. She ain't one, she won't bother God's grace, one true face, honey love